Well, good morning, New Hope. It's good to see you. If you'd like to take your outline out, that'd be a really good time to do this. If you've got an outline, which would be fantastic. Today, we're just going to continue in our series, Vital Conversations That You Need To Have in your family and with your family and those who are near and dear to you. Now, right now, you may not have a family. That's one possible group, okay? There are people that you can apply this to, or you may be about to have a family. So if that's you, you can prepare for when you have children. Or if you've had children and you've still got children, but they may be grown up, this is still applicable to you. Because I find I use these principles every day from God's Word. Today I'm going to talk about a very serious topic. All of the topics are serious, but this one strikes very close to the heart. And that is how to equip your children so that they will remain in the faith. Because they may be successful at cricket. I was speaking to a very passionate young Indian guy yesterday who was helping with our party we had for Maz. And he was so passionate about cricket. He knew everything there was. I couldn't believe it. This little squirt, he's about 11 years old. What he didn't know about cricket was nobody's business. Anyway, the point is, you can be really good at tennis, or really good at soccer, or really good at ballet. You do all those things, you can be really good, successful in business. But if you miss this, for me, I personally trade everything I have to have my children with me for eternity. Everything. Doesn't even rate on the scale. Every other accomplishment is like rubbish for me compared to having my children with me. So how do we equip your children to remain in the faith? Now, some of this may be quite challenging, but let me assure you, I'm going to show you how it's rooted firmly and foundationally in the scripture, which never changes. First thing I want to talk to you about is as Christians, if you're a Christian this morning in this room, you should be ready on the authority of God's word to explain good reasons, not because I said so. That is a terrible reason. Not because I said so. The reasons for your belief. And that applies to your colleagues who one day I'll say to you, hey, tell me, oh, are you going to church? What do you do on the weekend? You went to church. And someday somebody's going to say, why? Why are you a Christian? And you need to be able to explain this clearly and artfully and carefully to your colleagues and family, even some of your extended family. They probably think you're a weirdo because you go to church. Why do you go to church? So if you had 10 seconds to think about a, a response to that, could you answer that? Or would you just react off the top of your head? Have you even thought about that? Now, why do I even say that? Let's start off. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. First scripture on the outline. The Bible says this. In fact, let's read it all together aloud, okay? Let's read the whole thing. Let's read it from the top. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and Okay, so here's the deal. Whenever you talk to your children, whenever you talk to your work colleague, whenever you talk to your, um, st your fellow students at university, if you get mad or they get mad, you lose. If you get mad or they get mad, you lose. We're told here 
to share the hope that we have, the reasons for the hope that we have, but do it with two things. What are they? Gentleness and respect. Okay, good. I'm clear that. Now, it's a different day today. Now, some of you people are sitting here and you go, why do we need this? Let me say it in a very clear way. This is a different day to when you grew up. It is a radically different day. Even to when I had my kids, and that's not that long ago. It is radically different. It's an increasingly secular society who don't give a toss about God. Even Disney movies, who used to be the gold standard, do you remember that? Disney movies and TV shows, often they may have perfectly acceptable language. What I mean by that is there are no F words punctuating it. And we say, therefore, oh, you can watch those. Never mind the fact that most of them teach the cultural celebration of homosexual marriage and gender fluidity. How do I know that? Because where I lived in California is just down the road from Disney, and I know a stack of people work there, and I know what their agenda is. The ridicule of fathers in many movies, the listening of parental authority in the home, the autonomy and the preeminence of me over us. Premarital sex is normalized. Like you're weird now if you don't. Disney movies promote that. And hedonism at whatever the price is. In other words, pleasure at whatever the expenses. Now, unfortunately, and by the way, the knowledge of God... I actually grew up in this area, just down the road at Owairoa School. I came here when I was seven years old. And at seven years old, you'll never, you never guess what would happen every Friday. The principal would stand up, about actually on this side. And over here was my little friend, Chris Condal. Chris Condal had the most amazing ability with artistry. I mean, he was like a blooming Picasso at seven. And every single week, he would draw this amazing portrait. And guess what the principal was telling in Owairoa School? parables from the Bible every single week. And we would sing hymns. We would sing the national anthem. And we would have Christian principles taught in a secular school. That was way back in 1968 in Howick. That is not the case today. The knowledge, and most people had an awareness of what the Ten Commandments is, or were, and are. Today, if I ask most people, they may have a couple, but they certainly couldn't even name the ten. The knowledge of God is draining out of our society. So it's more secular. It's a hostile world. Henceforth, here is now the slap in the face for us, a wake-up call. I mean it as a wake-up call. Notice on your outline, 61% of kids involved in church as recently as their teenage years, become spiritually disengaged by their 20s. What does that mean? That they're not actively praying, reading the Bible, or attending church anymore. This is a major problem, not just here in a little old Halleck or East Auckland, but it's a case in New Zealand, across denomination, in most of the Western world. This is not necessarily the case. In fact, it's not the case in the third world. 
But in our world where we live today, this is a fact. I could have given you, I've looked at what, 20, 21 studies on this, and it worries the heck out of me. Multiple independent groups have conducted their own studies and identified the same trend, with some estimating those turning away from Christianity as high as 88%. Friends, ignorance is not bliss. It's very expensive and foolish to ignore the facts. The Bible says get the facts at any price. So what's happening? Why is this happening? Well, having looked at the various survey results in depth, I want to summarize the collective problem, those 21 surveys, in one sentence, pretty much. Here it is. And it's hard to swallow, but I can see the truth in this. Here it is. A lack of robust spiritual training has resulted in a featherweight faith for today's young adults and that faith is being blown away by attacks from our secular culture. Friends, young people are turning away from the Christian faith because they have accepted the popular claims that you will hear that Christianity is irrational. They are told all the time it's anti-science. They're told Christians are intolerant, bigoted, and that Christianity is based on an ancient, irrelevant book. That is the narrative in the culture today that your children and your grandchildren are hearing all the time. Now, I want to say to you, from somebody who has been a Christian for a very long time and has done three degrees, my terminal one's a doctorate of ministry, there are compelling answers for every objection that anybody could possibly raise. I am staggered. We, we, are in, we have an embarrassment of riches in our intellectual, historical, archaeological, and scientific pedigree. But young people are not leaving home equipped with those answers. They are leaving on the coattails of mummy and daddy. And then they crash and they burn. And the parents are going, Pastor Ian, I am heartbroken. My son is sleeping with not one woman but two. My daughter is letting this happen to her. What's gone wrong? Friends, the word equipped means prepared for a purpose. It means prepared for a purpose. Not far from where I lived in California, there's a place called Camp Pendleton where all our Marines train. This guy here is wandering around in a doggone hot place with a stinking heavy pack for ages. And they're, trained, they're preparing to go to, in that, those days, Afghanistan or wherever else. But let me tell you, you do not send your soldiers out, your Marines, in jandals and unprepared because they're going to get shot to death. That will be completely irresponsible of our government and our military to send our soldiers out untrained, unequipped, ready for the battle, battle-hardened. But the trouble is today, many young Christians leave home 
with a featherweight faith because they've never been trained. Oh, they may have heard a few Bible stories about a few characters here and there. And it's very sporadic at best. But at the same time, they need more than that. They need to be trained not just what they know, but why they know what they know. Otherwise, they're going to get shot to death. Biblical Christian faith is rooted in good reason. Remember the first verse. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. But your kids shouldn't just have to take your word for it. They need you to show them the evidence. You can give them a book. You could. But I found that never worked with my kids. I said, Dad, I don't want to read that book. I want to hear from you. What do you think? What do you know? This will help them to own their own faith and not leave home with borrowed faith. And I tell you what, it's like a little sneaky, if you excuse the expression, Kimberly, virus that doesn't really show up until they leave home. Because when they're at home, they're, they're under you. You're only going to really find out when they leave whether it's really taken root or whether they're living on a borrowed faith. But here's my point. I want you to know that biblical faith and good reason go hand in hand. They are not antithetical. Now, perhaps the ultimate testimony that God values evidence and good reasoning is in Jesus' life. How did Jesus handle evidence and reason? I want you to recall that Jesus didn't run around making extraordinary claims without offering evidence to back them up. He didn't do that. He substantiated his claims with what? Miracles. Miracles. And actions that no one could perform without divine power that he alleged he had. Now, I wonder if you remember, here's his cousin. What was Jesus' cousin called? Right. He got in trouble, right? He got in trouble. He got thrown in the clink. And he sent his disciples off to Jesus because his faith was starting to get a bit wobbly. And he said, hey, send the boys off to go see Jesus and ask, are you the one or should we still keep looking? How is this? John, who is a cousin of Jesus, who has baptized him in the River Jordan, start to get the wobbles. Sends his guys off to see Jesus. And they said, Jesus, are you the one or should we keep looking for another one? And this is his reply. I didn't put it in your outline, but it's in John 10, 38. You can read it for yourself. Jesus said, but if I do his work, God's work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. In other words, what I say, believe. There's the evidence. What have you just seen? The blind see, the leper healed. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me when you look at the evidence, and I am in the Father. So why is evidential support, evidential support for the truth of Christianity not passed on to our children, if even Jesus did that. He said, look, just go back and tell John what you've seen, the evidence. He points to the evidence, which is irrefutable. Not a matter of opinion, it's fact. Now, for an explanation, let's take a quick look of why this is going on in the average Christian kid's life. Here's 168 hours of the week. Next slide, please. A couple more clicks. Something's gone funky about that. Nothing there? Okay. 
PowerPoint needs a, an update. Okay, here's the deal. In 168 hours of a, a, a week, 63 hours, or 37%, is spent sleeping, snoozing. Some more, some less. <laughs> 40 hours, or 24%, is at school. 21 hours entertainment, 12 hours extracurricular activities, homework, sport, etc., and less than often one to two hours a week at church. In other words, it's pusillanimous. The amount of time is next to zip at church. If your child does not receive family discipleship training while they are in your home and only benefits from maybe one to two hours of Christian education a week, assuming no week is missed, not likely, we're setting up our kids to leave home on borrowed faith when we value other things over this most important thing. For example, fewer than one in ten Christian homes read the Bible together during a typical week. So if we just took an honest-to-God snapshot, and you imagine we're going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How many of those out of seven within your home or your children's homes now as grandparents are actually focused on engagement in the Word of God? Fewer than one in ten. A study, more shocking study, of 11,000 teenagers, which is a reasonable sample size for those of you who know stats, showed that only about 12% about 12% of youth have regular conversations with their parents on faith-based issues. So most kids growing up in Christian homes, based on that, aren't receiving anything remotely like the spiritual training they're going to need to have a sustainable faith that they own, and it's not their parents. You may be fine. You may not need that, but you came in in a different day. This is a new day. Now, unfortunately, they're losing their faith in the battle. And it starts, it used to start at university. Now it starts at primary school. With alternate ideas of what a marriage is. You better set that straight in your own family. Because if you don't, I tell you what, the whole tide of culture is going to paint a whole different picture. And that's going to be their normal. It's not going to be easy. This will not be easy. Because your children are going to have to stand in a culture which is coming back. Oh, look at that. It all arrived. How did that happen? <laughs> Thank you. That's where they're spending their time. Look at the little amount. The category value name there. Goodness knows why didn't came up there. That's a good question. What is that? That was supposed to be the church time. The Christian education. Is it actually happening though in your home? Is even the 1% happening in your home? Regularly. So when they go out... They're gonna be they're gonna be equipped. It's a question. If you want your kids to succeed in education, does anybody want that? Yeah. For those of you who've already been past that, what did you do to check that they were succeeding? What did you do? Stefan, what did you do? Attendance report. Oh, I like this. Attendance reports? Good. Anything else? Checking on the assignments. Spoken like a good teacher. <laughs> Homework. 
Yeah, yeah. Homework? Are you doing that? You did. I was terrible. I love math. So I had these sheets, and before my kids could even play it, after the other homework, they had to complete a hundred um, uh, tables calculations fast in under 60 seconds. And I've got to tell you for the record, and if you're listening, Helen, Helen beat the boys. A hundred in under 60 seconds. And we would do that every single day. Because I was really keen. My kids needed to learn to read, and I needed to be very good at math. If you get those two down, it helps a lot. So I inspected what I expected. Do we do that with something far more important? One of the ways you can understand if your kids are going this way, coming towards it, or disengaging, is are they asking questions? If the questions stop, there's a problem. So I read, I inspected tables, spelling. It was very important to me. Therefore, congruent with that, I behaved by inspection. It will be of no use to them if I just knew my tables and I could just spell. No use to them at all. I need to transfer the skill. We need to do that with our grandchildren as well. If you want to strengthen the faith of your kids, you have to make sure they are armed with the facts. I have said this to some of my older children, and it's a very hard conversation to have, but this is where the sentence basically went. Hey, if you don't want to be a Christian because you just don't want to be, that's on you. But if it's because of the facts, that's on me. If you get a question about the factual, evidential basis for Christianity, that's on me. If you want some help with that, that's on me. I've also prompted them with this very, for some of you in this room, this question will be useful for you and when you're sharing with other people who are, if they're firing questions at you one after the other, but you're really not sure whether they're serious, I use this one question to qualify them in or out. The question is simply this. If Christianity was true, would you become a Christian? That stops all the pontificating. Now, I have had some people say, if Christianity is true, of course, great, we can carry on talking. But I've had some people that said, no. I'm going, what? I thought we're supposed to be unreasonable about this. How is it reasonable that if it's true, you wouldn't be? That then points to a volitional problem, something deeper. All right, let's move on. Solutions. Okay, we talked about the problem. We've, we've kind of painted that. So what are we as Christian parents to do and grandparents? We need to raise kids with a faith that's specifically prepared for the challenges that they're going to face. Right? That's what I'm saying. Now, we take the idea of specific preparation for granted every day of our lives. And I want you to imagine that your goal for your child or your grandchild was to climb Mount Everest. Just imagine. Just work with me a minute. To climb Mount Everest. And probably most of the kids in New Zealand, they're probably a bit better prepared than the American kids, but most of the kids in New Zealand really right now are not at the requisite level of fitness or skill or attitude or, or steel in character to pull this one off. 
So what are some of the things you'd have to deal with if you take training your child to climb Everest? What are some of the things you'd have to deal with, prepare them for? Any thoughts? The effects of oxygen deprivation. Fact. Next. Frostbite. <laughs> Don't want to lose your fingers. You want them to come back with all the fingers and toes and nose, right? Yeah, good. Oxygen deprivation, cold, you'd have to uh, do that. Anything else? Physical fitness. So let's just call it there. Those three will be fine. To make it to the top, you'd have to have your kids prepared in that area. Well, I want to tell you, in May 10th, uh, in May 2010, Jordan Romero, who was 13 years old, did that. 13 years old, got to the top of Everest. He's always had a passion. He's been climbing with his dad. And he said, Dad, I want to go up there. He said, blah, 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 blah. This is not Mount Wellington we're talking about here. <laughs> this is Mount Everest. So they trained specifically for what they knew they were going to have to face. And he made it the youngest person ever, Jordan Romero. You can read about him. Now, as laudable as that goal is, how much more important, how much more important is the goal of raising your kids to know and love Jesus Christ. Yet most Christian parents aren't doing the spirit, are basically doing the spiritual equivalent of a few jumping jacks. You'll make it. Just do this. That's fine. No problem. Oh, don't overexert yourself. Don't be too extreme about that. You've got other things like tennis practice coming up or rugby or whatever it may be. Let me tell you, Jordan Romero sacked all those, he put those in the appropriate priority list. Down. This is the most important goal. They, most Christian kids have little idea of the spiritual challenges they're going to face. And parents should know that and should be seeing that through Facebook and the media these days. And because they're not sure, they don't specifically prepare their kids for these encounters. This week, Josh and I, Josh Yang and I, are going on Auckland University campus. And we'll be there sharing the gospel with another group there called Tandem Ministries. But there's nothing like being trained to go out and share with somebody. You have to prepare for an event. So simply taking him to church each Sunday isn't going to cut it, nor should it. You cannot outsource Christian education to the church. We only get them a very small portion of the time. So here's my call to action. Here it is. We have to stop winging it, our Christian parenting, and we have to start preparing our kids for what lies ahead. We have to be very practical about this. It is not the same set of rules that were there when you were kids. It is way harder. Now, the good news is, never have we had so many resources to help us with this. So this is encouraging. My good friend Natasha Crane has written a book that prepares and provides some really good material for this. Here are three of her books, which I would highly recommend. Talking to your kids about God. 30 conversations every Christian parent must have. If you to prepare them to climb that wall. Talking to your kids about Jesus. Another 30 conversations every Christian parent must have about Jesus. 
And she's got a list of all of the hard questions. We're going to cover a couple of them soon to give you a bit of it. But I highly, I mean, I get the privilege of rubbing shoulders with a whole bunch of different apologists. Everybody from Ravi Zacharias all the way to Lee Strobel to uh, Jay Warner Wallace. Natasha, in my view, I'd rather listen to any day than Ravi because she, she, she hits where the need is. She knows. I highly recommend her. It offers a planning and training uh, introduction on today's hot button topics of faith. I was speaking to a mum the other day whose, peer, whose kids had gone through a Christian education and they were wrestling with their mother. Why is it not okay to marry, to marry Sally? After years of Christian education, they'd missed it. And it was a shock to this parent. Natasha will give you concise, easy to understand answers that will help prepare you for these discussions. It's systematic. I love it. And you'll you can tailor them to the discussions with your own family. But please remember this. We cannot make our kids Christians. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Tom, is that video up next? Can we get the volume, please? to that question is no, you're not alone. Almost all Christian parents I talk with feel the same. Everyone knows the world is getting crazy, but few parents feel confident that they know specifically what the key faith challenges are today and how to effectively talk with their kids about them. But here's the good news. There is so much we can do as parents. We just have to make the effort to get equipped with the same understanding we want our kids to have. My newest book will help you do just that. It's called Talking With Your Kids About Jesus, and it'll walk you through 30 hugely important conversations to have with your kids about Jesus, given the specific challenges they'll encounter today. The chapters are mercifully short for busy parents. They're just about five pages each, and every chapter has a step-by-step -step conversation guide to show you exactly how to apply the content at home. So get your copy today and gain the confidence you need to have the conversations that matter most about Jesus in today's skeptical world. Natasha's an amazing gal, great kids, fantastic husband, great answers. Remember only God can call our children, not me, not you. And only our children themselves can respond to that call, not me, not you. I wish I could. If I could, I would. But surely what we can do is we can provide them with the facts and good preparation for the battle ahead. Now, the apostles' goal was to gently move his opponents who had misunderstandings about the truth, which is often what happens in our children's heads and those who don't know the Lord, and correct them misunderstandings about the truth. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps 
God may grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. So what are Christian parents actually responsible for? Three specific passages of the Bible on parenting all speak to our given role of teaching. We are responsible for teaching. The Bible says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. But the emphasis is mine, on the instruction of the Lord. Another one, train up a child in the ways you go. It's our responsibility to do that. Nobody else can do that. See, when my son, who's six foot three, the youngest one of them, played tennis, I'd sit there, above ADD, and have all of the points when he was serving, if he was winning his points from serving, or he was losing his points from a backhand volley, or whatever it was, I would mark all of those down. And afterwards, we'd have a discussion of where his strong points were against the opposition, and where his weak points were. So we could, we, we could focus his training. We need to do that how much more with the scriptures? This is the calling of Christian parenting. Our time spent in faith development is not a one-off purchase. Sometimes like, oh, good, they're a Christian. We'll leave it alone. That is woefully short of that. God has called us to be ongoing teachers of our children and ongoing learners as well. And in our culture, where people chalk up religious belief to nothing more than a person's opinion, personal opinion, about what may or may not exist beyond the natural world, where most kids never learn how to appropriately value their religious belief and heritage, and therefore, by default, don't come to understand that Christianity is simply this. It's either true or it's not true. That's it. If it's an objective truth, it cannot be a matter of opinion. People may have different assessments of whether it's true or not, but it's not something that actually can be true for some people and not for others. It's either true or it's not. And when kids understand that, they'll be more likely to value their faith because they realize there's something much more at stake here than a trivial matter of a personal opinion. The truth of Christianity can be assessed by looking at the evidence. Have we spent time sharing with our children the rock-solid evidence for Christianity. Because our culture perpetuates the idea that faith is blind and it's a big leap into the dark when actually it's not the nature of biblical faith at all. Biblical faith is rooted in good reason. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give that answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But again, now kids don't understand this by default. So we have to shape their understanding. Even our grown children, we have to still shape their understanding so that they know that they can really be confident about the decision to follow Christ is rooted in good reason. And that conviction makes all the difference in the world of how much a person values their faith. So let's get to it and initiate vital conversations with the family. And if we don't have the answers for our kids, atheists will be very happy to supply their answers to fill the gap in their knowledge. 
couple of suggestions. We're going to go through this very quickly on the type of discussion and questions that we need to have within the family unit as God designed. First up, what's the evidence that, uh, that the, there is for God existing? What is the evidence? Here's another one your kids are going to hear. They're all there. How can the loving God send people to hell? Do you think you could answer that within about a minute, succinctly, at the appropriate level? How about truth and worldviews? Do all religions point to the same truth? Could you answer that clearly? Because your kids are going to have to grapple with that. How about Jesus? How do we know he existed? What's the facts? Where's the evidence? Where's the archaeology? Where's the history that we can point to factually? Did Jesus really claim to be God? We could go on and on. How about the Bible? How do we know the Bible we have today says what the original authors originally wrote? How, how would you answer that? Because your children will be asked that. Your grandchildren will be asked that. Your grown children who grew up in a Christian home still may not know the answer to that. Science. What about evolution? Where does that fit? What's intelligent design? So here's a couple of quick tips. You can read those through your own time. I'm going to pick up a couple of ones for having a deeper faith conversation with your kids. Number one for you, can commit to continually deepening your understanding of Christianity. It's not just a Christian and then you've, you're done. No way. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Make some spiritual space in your home. It's not all jam-packed with activities. Study the Bible with your kids. Love what Jared and Tina are doing. Pull it out. Spend the time. Prioritize that time. Proactively and regularly ask your kids hard questions. Test them on it. I used to, I'd be driving along the car. Pop questions left, right and center. Now you may do that with tables. You may drill on tables. But how can the loving God send people to hell? Ooh, that threw you off balance. Emphasize critical thinking skills. Natasha's good at that. And teach your kids about other religions and how they differ. I love what C.S. Lewis said, and I've said it many times before. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only one thing it cannot be is moderately important. And I hope today to move it from the moderate importance in many Christian lives to the infinite importance. So let's wrap it up. Today, if you have no kids, that could be you. What priorities and topics and resources will you select based on the questions that you face at work with your friends? What will you do to be proactively prepared for when you have kids to answer the why questions, not what we believe, but why we believe what we believe. It's another level again. That's number one. Number two, if you have kids at home, second group, what topics will you prioritize based on their questions? Because they're coming. Even in primary school, they are coming. And what about grandparents or empty nesters? Are there known objections that your grown kids have 
so that you can prepare for them so that when you meet them, you'll be ready. Not to pounce on them, but when they bring that question up again, and they will. And how about grandparents? With grandchildren in mind, how can you help educate, share what and why you believe what you believe? How about some Christmas resources or birthday resources to help build your grandchildren's faith? And another good question, which is good to ask ourselves, if you had your time again, would you do anything differently at all? To specifically prepare your kids for the challenges they will face in life. Let's pray. Today, I just want to firstly pray for the parents in this room who are feeling pressed and squeezed as you try to prepare your young children to be Christ followers. If you're feeling that today, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Or look up? Yep. I'm with you. Father, we need you. And we cannot do this without you. We need your power and wisdom, and zeal, and your knowledge. Lord, we need your guidance too to organize our time and our calendars. Because, Lord, we do want to prioritize getting trained ourselves so we can train others. Lord, your word tells us that we, you've given us this privilege and responsibility to train our children. Help us to do that so that they remain enthusiastic followers of you throughout their lives. God, would you help us redeem the time in the day for you, Lord, and lead us to the right materials and give us the right approach to help us encourage our children to finish the race well. God, would you meet these precious parents and adults in their moment of need? Father, we trust you and we thank you for our kids. And I pray that you would raise up a generation who would love you and would know you and would follow hard after you. God, make them strong and help them stand firm against the torrent in this world. Make them bold by your spirit, Jesus. May they be filled with your love and your wisdom. And God, help them to find your wisdom and your comfort, Lord. I pray that their zeal would become contagious and there'll be a generation that cannot be silenced. God, make us into your image and help us train and teach your children to be diligent and resilient faith bearers in your holy and precious and powerful, now we ask it. Amen.